written in chalk, the echo of Arthur Stace, explores the legend of the man who became Mr Eternity and how that word ended up emblazoned across the Sydney Harbour Bridge at the turn of the millennium. This award-winning documentary is now available to watch in the free Vision app. Just tap the Watch tab and scroll to the Written in Chalk channel. If you don't have the Vision app on your phone or tablet, download it when you search Vision Christian Media in your app store or click the link at vision.org.au slash app. Vision Watch. Another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. An update today on the newly discovered life science of atomic biology. Now, it's the science that shows how we are amazingly made by our super-intelligent creator. The name of this new science, atomic biology, sounds complex to some. But the founders say the basics are simple enough for a fifth grader to understand. It works like this. All material things, including ourselves and us, are amazingly made of atoms. Our grown foods are made of atoms, from the dust of gardens, fields and orchards, mixed with a little rain and air. When we eat our food, many of the food atoms are used to make ourselves and us. Now, what is profound is the way those atoms are arranged. These are the simple basics of the super-intelligent two-step procedure for carefully building, sustaining, maintaining and repairing living cells and creatures including us. Atomic Biology's creator and author Tom Rogers is back with us today with an update on the latest developments. Tom Rogers is president of Reality Research and Development Inc. and the Atomic Biology Institute in Vancouver, Canada. His outfit studies the precision physical works necessary for the construction, operation, maintenance and repair of living cells and entities, including us, using atoms from available resources. Tom, a special welcome to 2020. Thank you so much, Neil. It's great to be here. Tom, uh, just from the outset, it almost sounds too simple, a simple solution to the God versus evolution question. What do you say when people say, this sounds too simple? Well, it's very complex, actually, but the the basics are very simple. And uh, it's, it's the work that's complex. The actual building of cell parts out of atoms is really complex. But the idea is, is pretty simple in that uh, from grade five science, I think a lot of us learned that um, material things are made out of atoms, you know, the building blocks of the universe, as we were taught as young people. And um, so our cells are material things, and so they must be made of atoms as well, and they are. Well, where did those atoms come from? So it has to be from what we put in our mouth or breathe in. That's pretty simple as well. You know, we, we are what we eat. We've been told that. Um, and what we put in our mouth is mainly grown foods that have been built by God from the atoms in the dust of fields and orchards. And um, 
so and gardens as well, of course. And so we are like Adam. We're made from the dust, but we're made in a two-step process. And another thing that um, the evolutionists never talk about is the fact that it's not just atoms that uh, make us, but there has to be this divine breath of life because atoms don't have life of their own. They have God-controlled energy so that the electrons can move perpetually, but uh, they don't have life. That has to be breathed into cells once they're made. And uh, that's something that evolution can't do as well as building the cells themselves because it, we find that it does take superintelligence, as you mentioned, and that was really proven um, unintentionally by the three Nobel Prize winners in chemistry back in, in 2016. They, it took them 33 years to build some really simple little molecular machines out of atoms, and the best they could do after all that time, you know, with all the vast knowledge that we have and sophisticated equipment, the best they could make uh, in the way of molecular machines out of atoms is almost infinitely more simplistic than the simplest molecular machines built into our cells every day of the week. And uh, <laughs> there's about 40 different kinds and about 200 different types of cells. And uh, so it's that construction that's very complex, way beyond, you know, it takes way more intelligence than mankind has. So evolution, having no intelligence at all, is really out of the running as both the origin and cause of life. But uh, now we have to convince the powers that be, and that's going to be a big job. Convincing the powers that be, we'll get on to that. But it is profound to understand that atoms don't have life in themselves. And as you describe, uh, Nobel-winning scientists who've proved that atoms don't have life, uh, significant things. The idea of replacing Darwin's theory. Now, we know, and uh, in Canada, where you are, and in the U.S., in the Western world, uh, Darwin's theory, evolution, is taught as fact in our schools and our universities. Uh, you're saying that atomic biology has all of the uh, scientific foundation to replace Darwin's theory. How would that happen? Well, it, it won't be easy. And um, I, I want to uh, read you something here that... Um, is the, the basis of the problem. This is summed up by a uh, Harvard professor, a fellow by the name of uh, Richard Lewontin, who um, has a PhD, and uh, he's describing the, well, honestly, the picture from the evolutionist side. So this is what he says. I think it is so crucial to know where that side is coming from. Uh, because they they believe that uh, you know natural selection doesn't need any intelligence. It's all materials just reacting together, and and so they take a, a totally materialistic approach. And so here's what he says. <clears throat> so we take the side of evolutionary science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs 
in spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for its unsubstantiated just-so stories, because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. It's not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept material explanations of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, we are forced by our a priority, a priori adherence to our material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. So that's the crux of the evolutionist side. They just don't want a divine foot in the door. So they've invented this way to to uh, try to show that it's all materialism, it's reactions between chemicals, it's natural selection, you know, mutations and so on. But they they have absolutely not gone down to the atomic level where these brilliant decisions have to be made and, and selections of the right numbers, of the right atoms to build us, and uh, I think we're we're maybe sounding very technical here, Neil, but really there's there's a huge emotional factor involved because the students that you mentioned going into college and university uh, with their Christianity intact, their belief intact, but about seventy five percent this is North American figures, about seventy five percent will graduate without their belief anymore because the the um, uh, atheistic profs and peers have persuaded it out of them, and uh, that's that's really what has to change. That trend is what we're all about changing, and uh, it it's going to be difficult because they're so entrenched. But because of the complexity of cells, the honest uh, teachers and professors who realize that. This cannot happen without intelligent guidance. They are backing away from evolution. So one one thing we're going to try to bring out is that since we have proof that it takes superintelligence to build our cell parts, uh, and evolution doesn't have any intelligence, that those teachers and professors who are forced to teach evolution as a origin and cause of life are really being forced to lie and to lie to their students. And I don't think they will tolerate that for very long once they know the facts. Because what what we have found is all verifiable evidence. And unfortunately, evolution is, as, as Luandin says, it's just so stories and uh, a, a commitment to a different source of information. And, uh, you know, the fossil record was a great problem for Darwin, and it's even a bigger problem today. The fossils don't bear out this idea of transitions. 
from one species to another species. So, I've so, had this conversation before, Tom, around science and the supernatural. And uh, in the science view, there's no room at all for even discussion about God or the supernatural. So uh, it's a challenging thing there. But as you say, materialism finishes in a very shallow level. And if you take things down to this cellular and and atomic level, uh, you've got to be able to introduce the sort of thoughts that you're talking about, super intelligence, and uh, where does life itself come from? The correlation we can bring here, Tom, which I think is important, is that you're saying that when our children, our teenagers, uh, go through school and go through college, university, uh, they are not going to be exposed to a God factor in the uh, origins here and that's leading to children teenagers and young adults losing their faith when they graduate from our education institutions so somehow or other you've got to bring some change there yes and uh, the way we see that happening neil is uh, first of all going to be through some of the christian clubs at uh, schools and colleges and universities uh, we have a campus crusade. Uh, it's now called um, Crew in the United States. It's called Power to Change in Canada. And I, I don't know if you have an equivalent there do. in Australia. But there are other other Christian clubs as well. There's quite a number. There's a, a half a dozen good Christian clubs in the uh, schools and colleges now. So what we want to do is is get those clubs to introduce it to the members that they have. And um, with this this small booklet, they can pack it around and, and uh, use it as a witnessing tool as well because um, they've, they've got to have the evidence at their fingertips to, to refute the claims of the atheists and the evolutionists. And, uh, and of course... It comes exam time, they still have to say, yeah, evolution does it if they want to pass. But the truth of the matter is they know that it takes a super intelligent uh, uh, designer and builder for cell parts and, and uh, living entities. So they they know the truth, but they have to go along with what the professor says until that changes. And I think that's going to be a while. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our special guest this hour is Tom Rogers. He's president of Reality Research and Development and the Atomic Biology Institute in Vancouver, Canada. We are talking about atomic biology today. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You're welcome to contribute. You might have a question, a comment, even a critique for our conversation. 1-800-316-316. Hey, Tom, just before we move into just explaining some of the science here, uh, come back to the way that you bring about change. We talked about what's happening on university campuses. Uh, Let's talk for a few moments about something that will affect every single listener, potentially, listening to our conversation today, and that is how uh, children's churches, Sunday schools, and churches with small group studies and all sorts of things, how can they be a part of this movement? Well, we have done this this simple uh, summary introduction 
to give people the basics. It, it's set up as a teaching a booklet um, with, with questions and blanks to fill in and so on. And this can be done in Sunday schools and uh, with um, Bible study groups or book study groups within the church body. And uh, it will help people to understand that um, in, in spite of this five decades of teaching that you know, evolution is the cause of life and the origin of life, that that's had an effect on even church people. And, uh, you know, in the back of their mind, they might think, yes, I, I believe in God, but there's this other factor, evolution, that there are brilliant uh, professors at college have been teaching for so long. So I think I think that a lot of members of the congregations can benefit from getting some more basic facts, uh, verifiable facts on how we are made and why it takes God, because God is the only uh, intelligent being that, that can do these uh, um, building, the design and building of molecular machines for ourselves. And as I mentioned before, there are about 40 different types, and they can do absolutely marvelous things. And, and this is why some evolutionists are actually leaving evolution behind and becoming former evolutionists because they, once they see the brilliance of what goes on within ourselves, it's, it's so incredible that they just cannot stick with this idea that there's no intelligence okay, involved. Tom, let's, as best we can do on the radio, now we don't have a whiteboard and we don't have uh, you know special video presentations and those sorts of things to uh, show uh, all sorts of images that might demonstrate how you're uh, discussing cells and atoms here, but how can you explain for our listeners uh, some of the basics of the science of what you're talking about with atomic biology? Okay, well, one of the factors that really um, brought this to be a full-time calling for me, because it started out as a as a curiosity for me as a late bloomer way back in 1987, and so it was just a part-time curiosity for best part of two decades. But I I found so many interesting things that. Uh, um, I finally switched over to full-time uh, on this about 14 years ago. And um, one, of, one of the key factors that, that I was able to put together with the help of three other scientists was just about our red blood cells. And even the Bible says that, you know, the life is in the blood. And um, our red blood cells wear out in about 120 days, so they have to be replaced. And that's about 20 trillion, in an average size adult, about 20 trillion red blood cells every 120 days. So um, for for a 150-pounder, which one of the scientists used as an example, that takes about 2.3 million new red blood cells every second, 24-7. So... Somebody has to do the work, right? This doesn't just happen by accident. And um, so that was a fellow by the name of Pallister. And um, then another fellow by the name of Tortora said, well, every one of those red blood cells is about 
280 million molecules of hemoglobin. And uh, so, well, okay, so that's amazing. And then, okay, how about hemoglobin? What's it made of? Well, another fellow by the name of Max Perutz uh, sorted that out as about 10,000 uh, atoms uh, and the right numbers of the right kind of elements as well, you know, like there's some iron and, and nitrogen, hydrogen, oxygen, and so on that, that make up um, these uh, molecules of hemoglobin. And um, so those all have to be found in, from our bloodstream and selected and, uh, um, of course, the bloodstream picked these things up from our, our digestive system and delivers it to where the red blood cells are being made, mainly in our bone structure and uh, in the marrow. And so the the number, when you do the multiplication, <laughs> this, is, this is what got to me, 10,000 atoms per um, molecule of hemoglobin, 280 million molecules of hemoglobin to make one red blood cell and then about 2.3 million new red blood cells per second just for this 150-pounder. So it's it's 6,400 quadrillion correct atoms uh, found, selected, and precisely assembled every second. Now, if that doesn't blow people's mind, I, I don't think anything will. <laughs> Neil, what do you think? Well, I'm amazed by it, and to think of, as you say, 2,600 quadrillion atoms precisely assembled every second. So the precise assembly, this is where you say this can't be random. How do you describe that? Well, the only way it can be is by an intelligent agent that can do this kind of work. Now, if you think and believe and understand that our our creator spoke the universe into existence, what what can he not do? And my work involves, you know, what what has to be done within every human and at every cell construction site. So that that's where we get down to the atomic level to see what kind of brilliant, amazing work this this creator of ours does for every one of us every second of every day. And so we should all have an attitude of gratitude <laughs> and, uh, because, you know, we can, we can go into the grocery store and there are all these wonderful vegetables and fruit to choose from and so on, and we just buy them, take them home, you know, cook them up, whatever, put them in our mouth without a thought of the fact that those things are, first of all, made out of dirt and that those same atoms that they're made out of is what is being used to build our cells within us. So, praise God, <laughs> there's there's so much to be thankful for and, and I find that it's, it's very difficult to be grateful and depressed at the same time. Okay. You know? Um, uh... Let me just just uh, just to get our heads around this: twenty six hundred quadrillion atoms precisely assembled 
every second uh, needs intelligent design for that to happen. So this is not something removed from the individual. This is happening in our bodies right now as we're listening to you describe that. And so sometimes we think of uh, origins and creation as something that happened a long time ago. But what we're talking about here, Tom, is the assessment of the sustainer of life today, sustaining our lives right now, this moment, this second. And that becomes a bridge to understanding the creator of all life, uh, God. Uh, Is that a fair way of assessing that? Absolutely, absolutely. I'll, I'll back up a little step not that it's it's that uh, critical because uh, the number you mentioned at 2600 quadrillion atoms per second is pretty amazing it's actually 6400 quadrillion for 150 pounders so if you're a 200 pounder is more if you're a 100 pounder it's less but it's still in the quadrillions per second so uh, so just just on that facet there um there's there are a number of factors that I'd like to help people understand just just so we can have this attitude of gratitude and uh, our booklet is called uh, Darwin's Replacement a Summary Introduction and then the subheading is how we are amazingly made and cared for by our superintelligent creator, the God of our nation. Now, the reason I bring in the God of our nation, and I've been questioned by some scientists, why did he do that? Well, <clears throat> the fact is, and it, it isn't quite as big a factor in Australia as it is in in uh, Canada, and uh, and it's even bigger in the United States, but... God is a part of your government and our government, and we have uh, national holidays that recognize this, like Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. Uh, We have God's name on war memorials, as you do, Uh, probably on some of your public buildings, Uh, probably in your justice system, and so on. So God is, is sprinkled throughout our government, our students have the right to be taught why God is so highly recognized by their government. So this is a, this is the reason I bring God into all parts of this uh, and relate it to government because He's already there. You see, so He should be part of the education system. Tom, just moving on in our conversation, uh, the thought that. Uh, when we talk about evolution, uh, we sometimes talk about microevolution, micro changes, and that usually contrasted with the thought of macroevolution, which is where the evolutionary theory really finds its feet. Uh, give us your thoughts here on microevolution and changes that happen in mutant cells. All right. Um, the microevolution is is uh, a adaptation normally within the species, and um, what Mr. Darwin looked at at the Galapagos Islands was that some finches there had different size beaks, and uh, so he he felt that uh, 
they they had changed from one kind to another um, over time, and uh, that um, this this change was what evolution was all about. It was it was an adaptation to be better at getting at the different kinds of food. Well, what the books don't say is that he found all these different finches with different sized beaks. They were all there. It wasn't like all the small beaks had gone or all the short beaks had gone because uh, they couldn't get at food or whatever. No, but the different kinds of beaks were there, just as they are in, in my family, probably yours. My family has different sized beaks as well. But um, anyway, he he had in his mind, and he wasn't the actual originator of this idea of one one species becoming another species. And of course, a change in beak size is is a, is a small change. And you know, God can build as any way He wants. He can build any living thing any way He wants, and uh, and He does. Um, but He doesn't change one kind into another kind, like the. The finch didn't become uh, um, a dog or a fish or anything else. You know, finch is a finch, and uh, you know, birds are birds, and so there are the different kinds, as the Bible says. Now, do we say there's no evolution? Period. No, we say there is mul- uh, uh, microevolution, but it's small changes within a species and it's usually an adaptation for making things better but some sometimes it seems that things are being made worse but the point is that even mutant cells have to be constructed and and mutant cells are very complex as well as regular cells so all cells have to be constructed by an intelligence source and god can choose to make things any way he wants to make them. Um, I remember one one uh, time that Jesus was being questioned about a blind man, and uh, the question was, "Well, why is this young man blind? Was it his parents' fault they sinned, or was it his fault?" And Jesus said, "No, actually, uh, he was made this way to glorify God." And I'm going to cure his blindness right before you and that's exactly what he did so we we don't understand all of the things that god does but you know sometimes he will let bad things happen to good people like he did with with job and um uh i was uh, my wife and i were just reading some of this uh, uh yesterday morning actually about the fact that yeah job or i mean uh, satan actually has the power to make us sick, and if God allows it, that's going to happen. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know if I've got off topic there a little bit, but <laughs> actually, you raise some uh, extra important questions because when you even say Jesus had the the power to heal a blind man, uh, something happened in that blind man in that moment, and it has to do with cells, uh, the transformation, the change of those cells. Uh, in that instant when the miracle occurs. So uh, when we're talking about the miracle that sustains our life today, uh, the thought of miracles happening with the healing of a person who may have an ailment or some disfigurement, uh, these things, uh, this is also an explanation of miracles. Yes, that's right. And and uh, it's amazing what God can heal. And, 
you know, if you just think about it for a minute, even if you have a a headache and uh, you take an aspirin or an Advil or some some pill, you know, you put that in your mouth. God's the one that moves things, you know, he takes the atoms from that pill and puts them where they need to be to fix your headache. And uh, and the same with many other illnesses, you know, all the pharmaceuticals that we have nowadays uh, are are put in our mouth or shot into our arm, but but they are sorted by an intelligent source that can use them to fix the problem. So that, that seems like a miracle, but God does it every day of the week. Hey, Tom, let me take you back to what we were talking about with what's being taught in our schools and in our universities, because as soon as we start to talk about those things, of course, politics comes into the question because here in Australia, uh, not sure you'd be up to date on our election issues, but we've got an election looming here. And uh, there might be a question about how you can discuss the politics of atomic biology because we're talking about the supernatural involvement of a creator, which goes against what's being taught in our schools and our universities. So when it comes to our legislators, uh, how do you approach perhaps even a candidate for an election around these sorts of issues about what's being taught in our schools? Well, I I think there is an excellent opportunity here because, as you know, we we have included um, in our our main book... uh, the position of God in the governments of uh, United States, Britain, Australia, and Canada. And um, uh, in the break, I just opened up our book on uh, the chapter about God in the government of Australia. So he, he's there in your national uh, holidays, some of your national holidays like Christmas, Easter, Thanksgiving. Uh, he's on some of your currencies. Uh, he's in your justice system, uh, you know, swearing on the Bible in courts and so on in Parliament. Um, he's in in parliamentary prayer. So what what you could do is ask your candidate, why is God so highly recognized by our government, and get a conversation going on that because he's there, and uh, I think that so many people would would. Uh, you know the the atheists that don't want God anywhere <laughs> don't don't think about so much the fact that he's part of their government and uh, for a very good reason. Of course, when we talk about the supernatural, uh, we are talking about a battle that's going on too, the battle for hearts and minds. Uh, so asking candidates about you know, why God is so prevalent in our Australian government, uh, even for some listeners, they'll think, what? Uh, I need to find out a little bit more about that. But a battle for hearts and minds. Uh, let me just bring in here uh, a very biblical, spiritual focus here, and that is that there may be a a satanic ploy uh, to win souls away from Christ, and the use of the evolutionary materialist theory is a wonderful way to distract people from the supernatural. What are your thoughts about the tampering, the meddling of uh, the enemy, Satan, uh, in these sorts of battles? Well, Neil, you've hit the nail right on the head because Satan is public enemy number one. And he has, he is very clever. He's much cleverer than you or I or any, um, any person. 
And uh, we need, you know, when we get strong temptations and that sort of thing, we've got to call on on uh, Jesus or God to help us out of some of these things because Satan is so subtle. But listen to this one. He has arranged to use our public schools as his churches and our teachers as his preachers. So what do you think of Uh, that? That is a profound statement, in fact. And uh, if you think carefully about that, uh, let me just say that again. He has persuaded our education system to use our public schools as his churches and to use our teachers as his preachers. Uh, It's it's like a, a masterstroke of evil, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's probably one of his most successful ploys for for moving souls away from God, and um, you know that's another reason why we're we're drifting into trouble. And of course, <clears throat> we know this tribulation is coming, but we can st- still, and we're still called on to be witnesses and to try to save, you know, some souls. From uh, from hell, especially in our own families and so on, Lord, we've got to have some some good evidence for some people, verifiable evidence. This is another thing I like about atomic biology, and that is that the facts are verifiable. Whereas, as uh, as Luwanton said in that statement I read out, you know, they they have their just so stories, but they're not backed up with fact. And the biggest one that that uh, Darwin understood as a problem was the fossil record because these these billions of transitional uh, species are just not there so we we believe that uh, evolution is already falsified as both the origin and cause of life but Getting the powers that be to make that declaration is going to be the challenge. You say uh, this bias in our universities, uh, in fact, is reinforced uh, by the justice system uh, to outlaw teachers and professors uh, and school boards uh, from teaching the intelligence used in design of living things. Uh, so the justice system reinforcing the bias that comes into our universities. Yes, yes. Well, do you you know of the Discovery Institute out of Seattle? They're the real uh, proponents for uh, intelligent design. Uh, I'm not so familiar, but yes, tell us about it. Well, they they have been um, taken to court when some schools have wanted to teach intelligent design alongside of uh, Darwinism's. And uh, in the court, they've been shot down because the judge has been persuaded to think, oh, no, this is just a religion in disguise, and you can't take that into the classroom. And um, so what? And I've got to talk to one of the lawyers at, at the Discovery Institute about this because I think that what we can use that court case for is to say, okay, they are definitely saying that uh, you know, evolution is superior to intelligent design and it's because intelligence design has intelligence and evolution doesn't and we're giving the, uh, the wave to evolution. But I think that's a good thing because we can now 
proves that it's absolutely essential for superintelligence, like way beyond mankind's level, to produce uh, the the molecular machinery for ourselves. So uh, we may be able to turn that around. Now, from our perspective, like we really like the Discovery Institute people, intelligent design people, um, a lot. And I, I, I'm a member there, and I go to their insiders' briefings. But we say, okay, so you have an intelligent design, you know, from an engineering point or a construction point, that that's great, but now you've got to build it. And they they aren't picking up on that part of it, but it's it's the building of of living uh, entities and all their parts that really takes intelligent work. So we're emphasizing the the uh, the great intelligent works and care that God has to put into building any one of us. Uh, let's just settle on this thought here for a moment here because uh, some will say intelligent design. Now, there's a problem with intelligent design in that it doesn't necessarily connect the supernatural formation with the God of the Bible. How do mm-hmm. you connect the God of the Bible as being the supreme intelligent creator? Okay, and that, that's a great question, and uh, I'll just bring the Discovery Institute into this, too, because they in the United States have been so concerned about this issue of, uh, of it wasn't even a law, it was just something that Jefferson uh, wrote down, not, not into law, but the separation of church and state. And um, so the point that we have made is, number one, don't confuse God with the church. The church can be a building or a group of people who are Satanists, uh, New Agers, uh, cults of various kinds, Moonies, that sort of thing. can be uh, Protestants, Catholics as well. But don't confuse God with the church. God is not the church. He is, a, is highly recognized by some churches, just as he's highly recognized by our government. And that's how we tie those two together. And we show all the different ways that God is part of government in each of these four nations that we focus on uh, that have God in the government, and that's United States, United Kingdom, Australia, and Canada. Okay, I guess, too, you would have to acknowledge uh, that when we talk intelligent design, we talk about God the Creator, the super intelligence we're talking about today, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the thing that sets in motion uh, the connection between God as Creator and all of these amazing things we're talking about today. Yes, indeed. And one thing that uh, I should bring up as well, and I'm sure that you've looked at this as well, and that is the um, omnipresence of God, the omniscience of God, and the omnipotence of God. And so let's come back to omnipresence, that God is everywhere. And uh, how, how can we prove that in some way? So what, what we've done, and of course, <laughs> you know, even Christians in science, they question some of these things. But um, here's, here's one thing that we uh, looked at, and that is that um, in the atom, 
is you have, and in all atoms, you have electrons that are in perpetual motion. And perpetual motion is not a natural phenomena. You have to add energy to make something move. And with, with electrons that have been moving forever, they've had a controlled energy source present there since the beginning. And there's only one way that uh, that can come about, and that is through the omnipresence of our Creator. He's the only one that can supply the controlled energy for every electron in every atom. So he does have a form of presence in every atom, which is in every material thing, including every one of our cells, our brains, and so on. And this is why God knows our thoughts before we even speak them. Okay? He's there. And um, and I think that that's another verifiable item. Another verifiable item, the omnipresence of God uh, in the way that we ourselves right in this very moment are being sustained. Hey, time has run out for our conversation. You've got a new little booklet out, and it's interesting when you deal with complex issues uh, like a whole new uh, science movement, uh, you've got to get the, the, the basics into the hands of ordinary people so that they understand something about it. You're really still, in some sense, uh, just at the beginning of what is a huge movement that is being created around the world. You've got a new summary introduction of Darwin's replacement, How We Are Amazingly Made, and it's just a short booklet. Describe that booklet and how it might be useful for uh, for listeners today, Tom. All right. Well, this, this uh, we came up with because we realized that the, the full science is not going to make it into classrooms for a while. We have to introduce this new idea in a simple way, and so we came up with this uh, summary introduction, which is also a teaching book with questions, and it's, it's reasonably priced. You can even get a Kindle version of it, or you can order it online through Amazon and uh, other other uh, suppliers. And uh, you know, quite quite reasonably priced, but something that that would be good for church study groups for Sunday schools, especially in the later grades, so that students are equipped with some knowledge to refute the the attack that they're going to get. It's even got a name in here in North America called Christian bashing, which is almost a sport at colleges and universities. And and uh, this you know, the numbers vary depending on the group that's reporting, like whether it's it's uh, um, a, a Protestant church uh, could be the Southern Baptists seem to have the highest loss. Like they're saying, about eighty-eight percent of their students are losing their belief at college and university. Um, but the, you know, some are as low as fifty percent. Still, a huge factor with parents that are, and, and Sunday school teachers that have poured their life into these kids for twelve years or so, and is lost. So this. Summary introduction gives them a shield and some enhancement for their belief that they can they can show to their attackers. 
Okay, it's Darwin's Replacement Summary Introduction, just a 40-page booklet and uh, got some questions in the back there for you to use in a small group study. And let me point people to the website atomicbiology.com, atomicbiology.com. As Tom says, also available in a Kindle version, uh, inexpensive to get a hold of, the summary introduction, and uh, some discounts there for multiple purchases. You might want 10, you might want 100, you might want 1,000 copies, uh, a simple 40-page booklet, atomicbiology.com. So I imagine if it's available on a Kindle version, just uh, just even Googling that name, uh, Darwin's Replacement, how we are amazingly made. Look for the summary introduction. People will be able to get a hold of that wherever they are listening today. Atomicbiology.com. Tom Rogers is president of Reality Research and Development and the Atomic Biology Institute. Tom, thanks so much for sharing an update with us today on 2020. Well, bless you, Neil. Thank you so much for your program and for having me on. And uh, uh, this is what's going to be needed to get the word out. And then the, the audience can uh, pass it along as well. So that's great. I thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.